Do not attempt to adjust the picture. Yo, I noticed that watching this, I get the world be mad at me. Like, oh man, you struggle without Steph Curry. Like, yo, Michael George struggled without Scott. <laughs> Shut the hell up talking to me. Exactly. That's a great point. I want to thank you guys for being on the show. I want to welcome you guys and all our viewers to WRTS, the After Party, Uninterrupted's new reaction show. Um, we're going to kick things off with this MJ doc. So for the next five weeks, every week after each episode, we'll have VIP um, guests on the show. Um, I want to thank Maverick Carter and Draymond Green for being our first guests. Let's get right into it. Um, you know, MJ is probably maybe the most well-known athlete in the world Ever, right? We feel like we all know everything there is to know about MJ. Is there anything you guys learned watching these first two episodes? I would say, for me, I didn't learn a whole lot. Um, it made me think about some things, but it didn't, because I'm an MJ fan. I mean, I was watching that going, I remember some of that footage from Michael Jordan's Playground. I used to watch Come Fly With Me wow, all yeah. the time and Playground and you know, uh, so I knew a lot of that stuff, and I was a I was a MJ fan. Every moment, every inch of it. Got to was fortunate enough to meet Michael um, in like 2002, and and have known him since then, and had a relationship with him. So none of it was new, but it did make me think about stuff. And Dre's actually been through this of like more about. I thought about the things I forgot about, like the beginning of that '98 season. Scotty came out and said, I'm not playing, fuck the Bulls. And and he had valid, he had a very valid mm -hmm. point. Because that is always a great argument, right? Like, okay, in 1991, he signed a seven-year deal. But 18 months into his deal, he had outperformed his deal. And four years into his deal, he had vastly outperformed his deal. So most good management, when you outperform at the level that he has goes to and go takes the contract and goes, this one's old. Let's do a new one. Jerry Reinsdorf, old school business guys like, nope, that's the contract you signed. That's what you're sticking to. But what that point led me to, I forgot about every moment and every game and every championship you win for a team, a basketball team, a football team, a rock band, a business, two partners, a family, there's something about success and at the highest level that get that makes it harder to hold the thing together. And you look at it and go, wait a minute, they were winning. They actually never lost the title. They kind of gave it up themselves, right? They kind of broke up the band themselves. But but really, 99, they're supposed to come back and defend it. So and Dre was a part of one of those, right? Like Dre went to five straight finals. They won three out of five. And it seemed like I remember going to all those finals games in 15. The Warriors were just joyful. This team that fucking threw the ball over the court, made every shot. It was a lot of fun. And then if you look at the team in 18, that was better than the team in 15. Dre had got better. Steph had got better. Clay had got better. Steve Kerr was better as a coach. And they had added fucking Kevin Durant. The best scoring, the best... Literally, Kevin Durant's the best talent I've ever seen as a player... But it got harder. It's like, wait a minute, that's 
that's counter thinking to it. It's like, wait a minute. If everybody gets better and we add more pieces, it should just we should just keep doing this and having fun and you forget that part. That's what it made me think. At a, about. At a minimum, it should get easier, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it, was, it was way tougher. Um, and I think the one thing that I got in watching this is that some shit just don't change. You know, like I'm watching this and it, it looked like, you know, you, you switched the head on some of the bodies and, and you just switched the jersey. You know, it's, like, it's <laughs> the it's same y'all, right? shit. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's the same shit over again. And in watching that, I learned more about Pip than I did necessarily about MJ. I mean, obviously Me MJ is the glorified one. You know, we've kind of heard all of the MJ stories for years, but I learned more about Pip today than I did about MJ and just that struggle though of trying to do it again and again and again. Like I've had all these conversations with our guys about, you know, keeping your foot on somebody's neck and, you know, you give someone that hope and all they need. I mean, you can even go to the series of us and the Cavs, you know, and all of a sudden we're up three, one, all they need is a little bit like <clears throat> game five. They was toast. They, like yeah. they were toast coming into game five, but yep. you get a little bit of hope and, and that's all you need. To, to then move forward. And so that's kind of what that was uh, reminiscent of to me is just giving somebody a little bit of hope. But, you know, I really learned a lot about Pip in these first couple episodes, even more so than MJ. It also reminds you, Dre, what you probably dealt We've all dealt with on some level is like, it's really crazy how dumb men are. Like, we're, we're winning, guys. Wait, no, guys, we won three in a row. We took a break. We just won two more in a row. And now we're fighting over who gets more credit. But there's a saying, a high tide raises all ships. We're all going to get paid. We're all gonna, but you can't, that thing inside you, Jerry Krause, the way Michael spoke to Jerry, like, you're going to do layups with us, Jerry? Well, if we, we better lower the hoop. Are those the pills that keep you short? Like, they're on the same team. Remember, this is the GM and the players. And they the Essentially, their goals are supposed to be the same, but something about winning and success that everybody starts fighting and clamoring for, I'm worth it, you know, I'm more, it's more my thing than yours, and I deserve the credit. Dre, y'all didn't seem to have that thing. It was just something else. They, The Bulls clearly had management and players had a fight about who deserved more credit. And I, I, I've even heard stories and it may come later in the doc that, Andre, you should, I don't know what you guys did, but when the Bulls would win, Jerry Reinsdorf, who is a very respectable owner, one of the most respected owners in all of basketball and baseball, he would buy the whole organization a ring. So the secretaries, the people in the office, the people in marketing, the people in sales, and the players led by Michael didn't like that. They didn't want, they didn't want the, them to get the same rings the players got. They thought the players should get a different... All that shit just... be All these issues just come when you're winning. Like, who cares? All we ever wanted to do was win. And then when you win, all these other things come about. I, I think... I mean, I that's crazy to me. Like, we... Us, on the other hand, we try to take great care of everyone. Uh, I mean, I think from a ring standpoint, I can't really speak on that. I don't put the ring orders in or know what they do. But to my knowledge... Just about, if not everyone, gets a ring. The same ring? Yes. Uh, it may be a little different. Like, there may be something on the player rings that, you know, is a distinction 
you know, of being a player or not, but they're pretty similar. Um, and, and then we try to take great care of our people through our playoff bonuses. You know, we'll slice something off of everybody's share, put it in the big pot and then like divvy it up in the tiers. Um, and, and that's how we really try to take care of ours. It's never really a fight, but I also think that kind of goes on who your top dog is. So, you know, MJ, I think it's no secret to anyone. MJ's a little bit of an asshole. And, a big asshole, know, yes. I, and you can't, I mean, I, I don't think you can be that great and not have some asshole to you. You know, and so uh, MJ is a, is a bit of an asshole, whereas Steph isn't a big asshole. You know, and so I think it kind of rolls, you know, who that top dog is, how that person is. And then everybody kind of take that approach. You know, yeah. as opposed to, and so that's kind of where you'll see the difference. Steph and MJ, they're not the same guy. Let of me. Course. I, I, I had a, I had a very interesting takeaway that it made me honestly think of you immediately, Dre. You know, one of the things you've gotten a lot of flack for in your career is, you know, your relationship with LeBron. You signing with Rich Paul, right? LeBron's agent, whatnot. Did you guys catch that Danny Ainge and MJ played golf together? Between games one and two, of course, absolutely. I and and the crazy thing about that is, is like Mav already said it. MJ being the goat, I've heard so many of the older guys talk about like, oh, this guy's working out with that guy, or why are they friends? Mm-hmm. I'm, I've always thought the shit was ridiculous when when they speak like that or or even think that way. I think it's fucking pathetic. But to to see that and MJ who. They all got the utmost respect for who bust all of their ass every single night was golfing with Danny Ainge in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. You know, like this is this isn't even a regular season game. <laughs> this is in the playoffs after losing game one, who's arguably one of or if arguably the most competitive player to ever play the game of basketball. He's golfing with the uh, opponent like. I don't know, man. It's that that one caught me off guard for sure. I, I literally rewinded in that moment <laughs> and made sure I fucking heard it correctly. Yeah, I agree with. I mean, Dre. Yeah, it's that's always been a media hype thing to me. Like players, since we're kids, when you play basketball, like players, it's a fraternity. It's only a few. Play, and then when you start talking, it gets slimmer and slimmer. Like great players. Like you go to camp with each other, you go to Nike all of them. Like it's all, and that goes back to the beginning of time. Like because there's a ver- a, vi- a a version of like I respect you. You can ball. Like I love my teammates, but those two guys ball like I ball. When you're a baller, like I can ball. So they speak a different language to me. So to Dre's point, MJ's the most competitive guy ever. Danny Ainge was. Oh my, you talk about competitive, compet still as a fucking GM, competitive, petty. You guys don't remember, I think they were playing the Cavs. He threw the towel up while one of the players, yes. like they called him Bush League. I think he got a fine. With foul, fight, that guy and Michael are playing golf. It wasn't surprising to me. I remember when even when LeBron was like a junior in high school, we used to go to Hoops to Gym in Chicago, which may come up later in the doc. And everybody would be there balling. Michael, Jerry Stackhouse, Penny, Paul Pierce, Antoine Walker. They were all Michael Finley. 
They were all Penny Hardaway. They were all work out to work out. Everybody would work out for an hour, get their lift on, and they go down the court. Tim Grover ran the gym. They would ball for like two hours, get up and down the court, shower, and then go to Michael's Steakhouse, eat, and play cards all summer for months and months. So I, I never really took that to heart because I'm like, you know, everybody, even us, we can't deny it, have that like, oh, back in my day, it's like, <laughs> oh, man, like, like nobody's re- it's a version, it's a new version of the same thing over and over. Right. But on, on an, uh, another thing about that is no one understands you like another NBA player because you essentially live the same life. And so mm-hmm. that's how everybody end up gravitating towards each other because I can have a conversation with uh, Damian Lillard. I can have a conversation with Damian Lillard and it probably sounds to him like I'm like telling him his life. Like we all mm-hmm. have that connection. And so... I think mm-hmm. it's just natural that basketball players or or any athlete, for that matter, you're going to be friends because no one else will understand you like another basketball player will. Mm-hmm. Speaking of understanding a basketball player, one thing that's not debatable was like just the sheer <laughs> level of fame that MJ had, right? Um, you know, Mav, you and I in business have had, you know, and in friendship have had, you know, the great pleasure of working with some of the best athletes in the world. We've traveled the world with LeBron on global athlete tours, work with Dre, you know, all these things. Can you guys both talk about in different capacities, obviously like the added stress and dealing with that fame, it's beyond just the game and those 48 minutes, right? What, what, what's it like dealing with that level of fame um, in the game? Well, the, the thing that the, the fame is the toughest thing to deal with because the fame comes with, different expectations from everyone you know it's not just a fan that's in Connecticut like it's also family that's in Connecticut it's family that's in Michigan like the fame brings a completely different microscope I never understand why rich or wealthy people that aren't famous chase fame because I always say like I you can have the fame I'll take the wealth you know, but some people will trade all of their wealth or all of their riches for fame. And I don't quite understand that. Like you with with fame, you can't quite be who you are. Like, you know, there's always a microscope. You always have to think twice about something. You're always looking over your shoulder, whether that's safety uh, and or in our day and age, whether that's looking for somebody recording something like there's always something else that comes comes with fame. And. MJ, I mean, watching this, MJ's fame is obviously on another level. You look at tonight, it was Paris and, you know, different thing. Or he's at a stoplight and, like, people's running up to his car. (laughs) You know, like, that that fame, dealing with that fame, it's it's a completely different thing. And yet, a lot of people chase that. And you don't know how tough it is or how stressful the fame is until you get it. Yeah, Dre's point is exactly right. I think... Michael was the most famous basketball player we've seen in a different way. In this day and age, uh, I think LeBron's obviously the most famous basketball player on the planet, but in a different way because of social now and people's connectivity to you. So people, so people probably feel, not probably they do, feel like they know LeBron way more than we felt like as kids we knew Michael. So, 
so the fame actually intensifies when you don't actually know someone's like, if you got to see Michael, I remember meeting him way later in his career, 2002, it was still like seeing Jesus. It was like seeing a God because I didn't know much. I never had seen him outside of you'd see him play a game and maybe in a suit do an interview and in a Nike commercial. So the fame was just extremely intense. But the thing that you have to admire and the thing that's cool about it is that Michael, you watch him, he could cut through the fame and focus on the sport, right? And it's mm-hmm. like when he got on that court, that was his haven. Away. He almost, he looks, when you watch it, when he's walking to the bus or like get ready to do an interview in Paris and someone asks him to sign him for something, that's where he looks extremely like, oh, like he'd rather almost, just play basketball almost every awkward. minute. Yeah, almost yeah. awkward. Yeah. It's the only sure. time Michael in his persona, because he's so cool and so charismatic and so dope. It's the only moments he looks awkward is when it's just like it gets to be like too much. And to Dre's point, what I've always said about the fame for someone like Michael Jordan is he doesn't get to turn that off. Meaning if he wakes up on a Sunday afternoon and jumps in his car and wants to get a cup of coffee or the newspaper or some breakfast or whatever, like we all have those feelings for whatever we want. He can't not be Michael Jordan. So when he walks in, people mob him, want autographs. This, and he's like, damn, I'm just here to get the newspaper and a cup of coffee. I don't. <laughs> and, and if he and if he comes off as that that feeling of like, fuck, I don't I'm not feeling good today. I woke up not feeling great. Then it comes off and people are pissed at you. That's the thing I've always found the most unfair is like, damn, he can't even you can't ever shut pull a switch and go like, OK, guys. For the next two hours, I'm not Michael Jordan. I'm not the most famous basketball player. Let me just live a normal life. So you start to adjust your life the other way, which is fucked up to think about. Yeah. Got it. Spe- speaking of adjusting, uh, one of the things we saw in episode two was uh, the start of the 98 season, MJ's frustration and intensity with Scotty being out and, and Dennis Rodman being out. Dre, you may be better than any player <laughs> in the world can speak to what it's like to be missing key players and the effect that has not only on the court, but in the locker room. What Can you talk a little bit about that dynamic when you're missing key players? I mean, when you're missing key players, everything changes. You know, like we would, for the last five years, like we pull up to a hotel and there's at, at two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning, we pull up to a hotel and there's four or 500 people outside trying to get autographs. And like this year, we pull up to a hotel at 3 p.m. and it'd be <laughs> three people outside. <laughs> completely. All, all Michigan State alumni. <laughs> completely different thing. Now, to be 100% honest with you, I kind of enjoyed it being three people outside. You know, after like five straight years of just like this circus. Like I, I enjoyed that, but but it's a completely different thing. Like the locker room is different. The culture kind of takes a hit, you know, when you don't when you got people missing out of the locker room, and I, and then you kind of saw that here. It's like their their culture had already taken a hit. They were already shaking, but it took a the winning culture took a hit for them. You know, all of a sudden mm-hmm. they can't win a road game, or you know they go to the with the Clippers who were trash. Then they go to double OT just to pull out and. 
I think mm-hmm. what Mike had 50 or 49 or something like that just to get a win on the road. Like, mm-hmm. so that took a hit for them. But like your culture really take a hit when you're missing your top guys. When you're when you're a winning um, organization, I can't necessarily speak for a losing organization. But when you're a winning organization and you're missing like t- your top guys, your culture definitely takes a hit. Like, and for us, winning obviously <laughs> took a hit. You know, and so of you you're trying hard to like the guys who's in there that's been a part of it. You know how hard it was to build, and you're trying your hardest to hold on to that while missing like key pe- key pieces to that. You know, it's mm-hmm. like. You, you put a bike together, like, and you do all you can to put this bike together, and you don't got pedals, that bike isn't going. It's not the same bike. And so it's, you know, it's tough to keep that culture together when you're missing your top dog. Mav, I'll give you a lot of, you know, I want to throw it to you because you always are big on, like, there are obviously a lot of parallels from sport to business, and you've always said, like, one person don't stop the show, right? So can you talk a little bit about that mindset as well of, like, you know, MJ just strapped up and was like, all right, I got to put up that one game against the Clippers, where he tells the team, let's get this win. I'm not going to tell you how this shit again. I don't know if you saw the graphic. He put up 38 shots that game. Yeah. yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that, Mav, about like having to take the lead when, when you know, it's kind of like that next man up mentality. Yeah, we, we've all heard the line my, my, my mom used to say all the time when I was a kid and throw a fit in the middle of like a cookout or a party, one monkey don't stop, no show. But, but the truth is, you know, a guy said in the doc today, Michael Jordan, and I, that's a that, that's a like there's no way to ever validate this, but it's definitely probably true. He did his job at a level better than anybody else in the world has ever done their job. That, that's yep. what the guy said, right? He did his any job in the world. He was the best at his job than anybody else were at their job, whatever their job be. So, at some level, if you have a person that good at something. I mean, he's the best ever at his thing, then you can kind of move people in and out. But the truth is, no matter, even that guy needs his other people. And most importantly, that second person, because that second person, right? If I'm the best at doing my thing, I need the other people to clear the way so I can do my thing. That's what, right. that's, right. so, so Scotty took care of everything else. They brought up those stats. Scotty was second in rebound, first in, second in points, second in rebounds, first in, blah, blah, blah. So Scotty covered all these other bases. You know, it's just like the Warriors, like the world knows Steph can't fucking play defense. Steph, can't go. I'm 38. Haven't played a, a decent game of basketball in, in probably 18 years. So I was 20. Steph would have trouble guarding me. But <laughs> but Steph is the greatest shooter in the world. When that motherfucker gets rolling, you can't stop him. Um, he can hit any shot from anywhere on the court, and he's actually really good off the ball on defense. He's a good stealer. But he needs Steph and I mean, he's Clay and Draymond to kind of cover everything else so he could do his thing. Like, like, let me do my Dre. You got to play the hell out of those drums, Clay. You got to play that fucking guitar and let me. That's how my vocals get heard, right? Just like in a band, you got to clear the way. So it's the same way in business. It's like when you set up a business or a team, you have to. The team has to be set up in a way as like, okay, 
You have to get great. I was listening to someone, a book I've been listening to as I'm walking, Creativity Inc., which I told you about, P, is like the guy who's uh, built Pixar says, you hire great people to let them do great things. You don't hire great people to get in their way of right. doing great things. So meaning you bring on great people, let them do their thing so you can do whatever your thing is. That, that's why you put a team around Michael Jordan or, or Steph Curry. It's like, let them do their thing, man. Like, everybody else handle their shit. And one thing you can bet on, it is for sure that Steph Curry is the greatest shooter I've ever seen. He is going to do that thing night in and night out. Everybody else is going to do their thing, and he will do, which is the main thing in a basketball game, right? Is putting the ball in the hoop. So I think it's, 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 it's shined through in that, that without Scotty, Michael's like, wait a minute. I can do my thing, but damn, I got to do all these other things? No. Right. <laughs> I need somebody else to do this. Fuck, man. If y'all do the things, I can get 50. I guarantee you that. I can get 48. I can will us to a victory. I can guard the other team's perimeter player. But I need somebody to rebound, somebody to assist, somebody to bring it up and get it to me, somebody to get 20 just to support my 50. And that's, that's what was very evident through that point. Yo, I noticed that watching this. I get the world be mad at me. Like, oh, man, you struggle without Steph Curry. Like, yo, Michael George struggled without Scott. They can <laughs> shut the hell up talking to me. <laughs> exactly. That's a great point. <laughs> like, maybe at my neck. Like, yo, you can't win without All-Stars. Like, yo, Michael George struggled without Scotty Pippen. You want to come right. at me? Right. Fucking bigger-ass people in this world, man. Yo, I think... I think you know, I was a little surprised, but, you know, it makes sense. We've talked about Scotty a lot, right? Um, and in that second episode that came through, obviously they talk about the contract. A, for both of you, is that one of the worst contracts ever for a player? And B, he was in a really tough spot, man. Do you guys think he handled that, you know, how... You think he'd handle it the same way if he could go back and do it all over again? I think... Um what, one thing that that said to me with that contract is I think the two greatest teams ever in the NBA is built on bad contracts. Scottie Pippen's contract was fucking horrible. But I'm not sure his contract was any worse than Steph's contract. Like, Steph was – no one is going to say it because he was making $11 million. I'm not oh. a math guy, but I'd be interested in knowing, like, how that adds up or how that's co co comparable – to Scotty's deal with what the money was back then. Like, so that's the one of the things I took away from it. But uh, did he handle it the right way? I mean, I guess I could be seen as a little defiant at times. I don't, have, <laughs> I don't have no issue with how he handled it. I mean, like he said, he had to look out for himself. Um, did he put the team first? Like, I think if I'm going to say he was wrong, he was wrong to his brothers that he went to war with every day. But me as a teammate, if if Scottie Pippen does that, I'm not going to be mad at Pip because I understand what you're doing. And at the end of the day, I'm rolling with you because when it all boils down to it, they clearly that organization showed they're going to take care of themselves. They're not going to take care of us. And so I was kind of a little disappointed when Mike, still to this day, is like, Scotty was wrong. 
Like, mm-hmm. no, I'm, I'm like, no, you roll with your dogs. You know what I'm saying? Because well, they ride with you. So I ain't and, really. And, and, and Dre, Mike's, Mike's saying that as his bag is secured already. You know what I'm like, saying? You're making $36 million and this right. guy is making two. Yet right. you're saying that when you mention my name, there's no way you cannot mention Scottie Pippen's name. And, and he's just supposed to sit there? That ain't I don't know. Up. Like, that, that don't make sense. It's very easy to say. Like, no, nah, you should be good. And like, your, your house is huge. Like, you got $36 million coming in, and this man got two. That's crazy. You know, Michael said, it's, you can't mention my name without mentioning Scotty. So if Michael's making 30 or 35, that feels like 15 to 20 for Scotty. <laughs> like, hey, you know, hey, just, it definitely don't feel, feel like two, Mav. It definitely don't feel like don't, two. No, no, it definitely doesn't feel like less than 15. Right, right. Right. Twenty-five might be pushing it, but twenty. But I think Scotty, you know, it, it's tough because in basketball or any sport, there is an expiration date on your career. That's that's as an athlete. That's that's the that's the dirty truth, right? Is like we want to win. We're here to win. We're, we're, let's win. But wait a minute, the organization is winning. Michael got Michael wasn't getting paid by the way before that. The season before that, Michael made 30 in 97 and like 36 in 98. Michael was short, getting shortchanged. So, but anyway, everybody's winning. Like they show it. The Bulls, they were getting more fans were showing up for indoor soccer. Now, granted, Michael's a big, the biggest part of that, but fuck, I'm a big part of that too. So, frankly, I think Scotty didn't have, I think Scotty would have, should have went earlier. I think Michael retired in 93. In 94, they went seven games with the Knicks and almost went to the Eastern Conference Finals. I think they won 50-something games. I think Scotty could have went for his money then. I think Jerry Reinsdorf's an old-school business guy who goes, you sign the contract, that's the contract you got to live up to and play to. But it's like, that's fine, Jerry. But, Jerry, you're in the sports business. You know that athletes have an expiration date that nobody knows when it is, but it exists. It's not like an executive like myself or like you, P, we can work. If we get underpaid for three years, you can work to, you know, executives work to their 70, 75. You got room to to figure it out and make it up. An athlete doesn't have that. So I'm always for an athlete getting paid sooner rather than later. And I think, you know, Scotty's son, you know, Scotty was from Arkansas, from a family who never had nothing in the Deep South, and like to lock in 18 million in 1991 was a lot of money to him, but that quickly became underpaid. But the problem with the, with any sports team, and Dre knows how this goes, is it's funny because sports franchises and sports media rights have been skyrocketing. The truth is, almost every athlete's deal, the minute they sign it two years later, if they're good or great, if they're great, absolutely, if they're good, feels like they're underpaid immediately. I mean, it's just like, like Steph signed that deal and everybody was sitting there going like, oh, he had ankle issues and this and that. 18 months later, it's like, what? They got us, they're paying this guy nothing. They're not, I mean, he was making less than Ty Lawson. And Dre, to your point, that flexibility of that bad deal for Steph allowed you guys to sign other players and create that team, correct? Well, so you figure if Steph does not sign that deal, for starters, we don't get Andre. And, 
you know, if we don't get Andre, who's to say the team overall, you know, when Matt talk about, you know, the you, you, when you talk, start talking about the valuation of that team. So the Warriors right now are valued at three point two or whatever billion dollars. Does that even take off? And does all the other revenue take off? Because we we don't start winning at the rate that we're winning at without Andre. So then if we're not winning at that rate, does Clay get the same amount of money he gets? Or or are they willing to pay Clay what he then got? And then my contract, are they willing to pay me what I was paid yep. if 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 everything isn't taken off? But the only reason everything is really taken off is because Steph Curry is signed to a four for 44, making $11 million a year when other superstar players at the level that Steph's playing at – Players at that level are making $28 million, and he's making not even half of that. And so every, all of us were able to get paid because of his deal. And exactly. I, and so you don't, like, it doesn't work out the same if Steph right then signs a four for 80-some million dollars. It, it just wouldn't have worked out that way. The, the other thing it does is it sets a natural order, meaning, meaning Steph is only making eleven. So as much as Dre wants to go in and argue he should be making 30, they can, they're like, well, wait, we only play Steph 11. Steph's Will you? Right. It, 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 it actually is bad for, it fucks, it, it, it allows the organization this leverage that may even be unspoken, right? It, they may not even have to say it. They just, you know, Steph makes 11. So how could Clay go in and say, I should be making, Steph's the MVP of the league. He makes 11 million. What do we're gonna pay you twenty five to piss Steph off? It, it, it throws it puts everything in this natural order that's that's not right, but it's because the the top dog took this contract that allows everyone to play. But it's but it, it could happen another way too, like in like in the NFL, the Seahawks were able to build a team because they got Russell Wilson, I think, in the fifth round. Yes. So they they went to two Super Bowls. I think you know Super Bowl years. Russell, I don't think he was making a million dollars. I think Russell was making 600, 700. So to Dre's point, it allows them to spend money everywhere else yeah. because every, every other team is paying a quarterback that's going to the Super Bowl, $25 million. Yeah. One of the things that was like, honestly, super interesting to me that I would, I would love both of y'all take, but Dre, specifically to you, is in episode one, you know, they show how Phil hit it on the head, letting the team know and, and labeling this thing the last dance, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I, I see some parallels called bullshit, Dre, if you don't, you guys, your 2018 season, right? And knowing that, hey, this may be the last run for you guys, KD's contract was up and, you know, all these other things. Um, talk a little bit about, like, them going into the season and and, you know, getting ahead of it and being like, hey, this is this is the last dance. Let's enjoy every moment. Um, did, did that hit close to home to you at all? Like, do you see any parallels with how you guys address the season? It definitely hit close to home. Uh, ironically, our season was the 20-year anniversary of that season. Um, wow, I never and, thought about that. Wow. And we have a, a very important piece of our season, who was a piece of that season, which was Steve Kerr. And... Yeah. Um, I think Phil did what was great, which is acknowledge the elephant in the room, you know, because all year they would, if, if Phil doesn't do that, all year 
everyone else is dealing with that somewhere, you know, and, and whether it's coming in questions. So now once you get these questions from the media, we've already addressed that as a team. We really don't need to talk about that, you know. Right. And our situation was a little different in, from the standpoint of it was contracts, but it was on players. You know, it wasn't necessarily the organization. So, for instance, like Kevin took the one-year deal on his own. So that was kind of the elephant in the room. And although Steve approach was like, hey, guys, let's enjoy this year because we don't know what next year brings. You got Kevin contract. You got Clay contract. And I kind of got thrown in that in that contract thing, although I had another year after that year, which was this mm -hmm. year. Um, and so that was kind of the elephant in the room. And although Steve would kind of hit on it of like, let's just enjoy this year for what it is because we don't know what he next year holds, it didn't carry necessarily carry the same weight because what should have happened was Kevin come out and say, Hey man, like this it. Like this is it. Like so let's let's do this or yep. this isn't it. You know what I'm saying? But you can't just leave an elephant in the room yep. and and because what happened was the question came to us every day. Like the, the every time we spoke to the media Clay and myself was asked about our contract. Every, and it was strictly due to Kevin, you know, because while that was going on, Clay was saying, I want to be a warrior forever. Like, I want to be here. We started this thing. This is where I want to be. I'm saying, yo, I want to be here for my career. We started this. We built this. I want to finish my career here with the guys I started it with. And then you kind of had Kevin, like, I don't know what I'm going to do next year. Like, and it don't matter, but it does matter because you're not the only person that has to answer that question. And to be quite frank with you, you're honestly the last person that has to answer the question because you don't really say shit. Like, you don't say much to the media. If anything, you tell them to shut the fuck up. Well, I don't tell them to shut the fuck up. I kind of ha have a conversation. And so I'm stuck answering that question all the time. And due to that, there was always an elephant in the room amongst us as opposed to with them, they didn't have that elephant. Krause had said it was Phil's last year. Yeah. Phil had told them this is the last dance. Mike already said, well, if Phil ain't coming back next year, I'm not either. So everybody knew it was Mike's last year. They didn't have an elephant, whereas I think we had a huge elephant sitting in the room, and Steve was trying to address it as best as he could, but it was kind of out of his hands. And Dre, even yeah. taking it a step further, not only is there no elephant in the room, they banded together the Bulls, right? It was kind of like, hey, this is our last year. We need to do this for each other. Almost like fuck organization, fuck the system, management, all that. This is our last, you know, our last dance, you know? Mav, anything on that? No, I, I would just like to ask one thing to Dre, because the Bulls, they won 72 games in the 95-96 season, which was Michael's first full season back. <clears throat> and then... The 97 season, they won a championship. In 98, they won a championship. And you could argue that the 97 team and the 98 team were, was better than the 96 team, but the 96 team won the most. It's weird. The Warriors have a bit of the same. The Warriors won the most games in the 15-16 season, but the 17 team and the 18 team won the championship and probably... Uh, not even probably was better than the 16 team, but could never reach that consist like to win 72 or 73 games. 
you have to have this level, this high level of ball for like six straight months. And it's something weird that it doesn't mean it's the best version of that team. You follow what I'm saying, Dre? Mm-hmm. Do you have, have you ever thought about that? Like 17 and 18, y'all added fucking Kevin Durant. 16, y'all had Harrison Barnes, who ain't Kevin Durant, obviously. But y'all won more games that year. Y'all played consistently better ball over the course of six or seven months. All, all three teams reached the finals, 2-1. The Bulls had the same. The 96 team won the most games, but 97-98 were probably better. Honestly, our 2017-2018 team probably would have beat our 2016 team by 2025 points. Wow. You think that big a difference, Dre? If the if if our 2015-2016 team completely locks in and say, listen, we are locked in, let's go play this game. And the 2017-2018 team say we locked in, let's go play this game. 20 points. Wow. Easy. And was a much better, much more talented team. And when we're locked in and clicking, much better team. But the thing about that 2015-2016 team was we were always locked in and we were always clicking. You know, there was never really a moment that we weren't locked in. You know, there's games. I mean, you we lost nine games. Like, that's absurd. That's, that's absurd. <laughs> so you figure nine of those games, seven of them, we probably can't hit a shot. Really more than that, because we even won some games because of our defense where we couldn't hit a shot. I mean, you win 73 games, you're going to have – a lot of nights where you don't hit shots. We were still able to win those games. But you figure also some of those games is someone is shooting lights out, some guy who doesn't really score is going off. And like, and so you, you take all of that into account with that 2016 team. But the 2017-2018 teams were so much better than that team. But because we were so much better, we were – never really locked in at all times. You know, you figure... So the first year Kevin was here, which was 2017, we spent the beginning of that year trying to figure it out. And we lost on Christmas Day to the Cavs. That's when Kyrie shot hit the shot over Clay Light mid-post area. And and then... And Kevin and and Steph was kind of having this... It wasn't like beef. It was just kind of like... You take it. No, you take it. Yeah. Like, I don't want to step yeah. on your toes. I don't. And after that, Kevin, when we lost that Christmas Day game, te- Kevin told Steph, like, yo, I don't need you to just look for me. Like, I'm fine. I'll get it. I need you to go be you. And when he did that, we took off. And so mm-hmm. you figure just with the beginning of that season, you can't get the 73 wins, just how that season started off. And yeah. then in 2018, once we – Finished 2017 as champions. We come back in 2018. We know no team's going to beat us. Like, And so we're not taking that regular season serious. There was literally games during 2018 or times during the season where we like, yo, let's go lock in this game. And like, if we say we're going to lock in, we'll be somebody by 30. But that was like, we didn't do that all the time. Like at times we're just showing up and we're still going to win because we're just better. Okay, you guys are but just better we, than everyone else. Yeah, yeah, but we weren't necessarily locked in because we knew how good we were. That 2015-2016 team, we had to fight for everything we got at all times. It wasn't like that. We were so good, we didn't have to fight. And so the focus was never the same 
with those later teams, but we were way better. Dre, before we get out of here, I got to ask you specifically, what was it like seeing your head coach of the Golden State Warriors, Steve Kerr, in team sweats, coming off the team bus? A, what was it like seeing him be a player? And B, how often, if at all, did he or does he reference that 90s Bulls team and the things he went through and learned? Uh, it was it's super dope seeing him, uh, you know, seeing him in these in this documentary, seeing Nick Kerr on his neck. Like I thought I thought all of that was super dope. Um, and just kind of seeing the history. I, I remembered a lot of this stuff, you know, from growing up, but just to kind of see it replayed and know where he is today and also to see the similarities in his coaching style and feels was or some of the things like that you could see like, wow. He pulled some of that stuff from Phil and kind of added his own touch to it. Oh, yeah. Mm. Or to even hear his interview where he talked about, like, oh, rhythm isn't the same. Like, I've heard him say that a million times to us. Wow. And it sounded like he was just standing in our locker room coaching. Like, that was super dope uh, to me just, just to kind of see him in that aspect. And as far as, like, him, he, he don't necessarily talk about it all the time. I think the most I ever heard ever heard him talk about it was the 2018 season, maybe 2019, 2018-19, um, uh, where he's like, yo, I know it's hard. We went through the same thing with the Bulls. Like, one of those years, we got off to a tough start. And he, and he referenced, like, yo, in 97-98, we started 4-4. Four and, four. and, like, we didn't know, like, it was, it was funky. We didn't know what to expect. Like, it was, everything was harder. Like, that's probably the most he's ever referenced it when he was talking about how our struggles and getting up for games kind of mirrored their struggles, but what we needed to do to get through it and how they got through it. That's the most he really talked about it. Uh, he don't spend much time kind of reminiscing or, you know, uh, giving us, you know, stories from those days. He, he don't do much of that. Got it. And Mav, you, you've uh, built a relationship with Steve. You know, you've spoken to him, know him you know, fairly well. Was it different or, or odd for you to, you know, see him again, you know, as a player? No, yeah, I've gotten to know Steve pretty well. My uh, my girlfriend is like her, Steve is her, um, Steve's mom and her grandfather were married. Um, so I've gotten to know Steve well. I think, no, it's, it's really interesting when you think back on, and I was texting with Dre earlier because I was watching some, some 2013 uh, Warriors playoff games. They were on NBA TV when Mark Jackson was the coach. And it's, you know, Steve had great timing. I mean, Steve Steve was always a great player from his days at Arizona to his days with the Bulls, played with the Cavs, actually, Spurs. But Steve always has had great timing in his career. I mean, he played with the Bulls. Did he, he won three with the Bulls. Mm -hmm. He won three with the Bulls. Then he ended up with the, so he got to play under, he got to play with Michael who is, you know, the greatest player to ever play, the greatest winner we've ever seen in sports. And then he got to play under Phil. Then he went to the Spurs. Steve, people forget Steve also played for the Spurs. Yeah, Coach Pop. So he, yeah. got to play, he got to play with Tim Duncan, who is the greatest power forward after Michael. Or even, I mean, there's an argument to be made that that Tim's a better, the greatest winner that, that our generation has ever seen. We didn't see Bill Russell. The Spurs had, I think, 15 or 16 straight 50-win seasons or some ridiculous number like that. I think all the way up into this season. 
and play under Pop, who is the who is the Bill Belichick of basketball. And then the Warriors were on the brink of being a great team. I went back and watched. I was watching those games from 2013. Mark Jackson had that team. I watched game one of the second round. Steph had 22 in the second in the third quarter. They were fighting, scrapping with the Spurs, who went on to lose in game seven to the Heat. But you could, if you watch those games and then do revisionist history and look back, you're like, oh, I can see it why the Warriors turned in that team and then shows Steve Kerr shows up, right? And wins three championships. So Steve, he just he's that guy. He's a winner. He's smart. He's thoughtful. He's always in the right place at the right time. And the reason it always works out for him to me, which seeing him in that place again and knowing him personally is he doesn't have an ego about any of it. He doesn't no. ever gloat. He doesn't ever gloat or boast. He's one of the he's one of the most winningest athletes in the history of sports. Him, Phil Jackson, Michael Jordan, Tom Brady, Belichick, Pat Riley. He's in that group. If you count his rings as a player, his rings as a coach, I think he has six, eight. Eight. He has eight. Wow. Yeah, but but you would never know it. He never leads with it. He never leads with he knows more than you. So it wasn't surprising to me to see him, oh, like, oh, there's the, this is a winning situation in basketball. There's Steve Kerr. <laughs> Gentlemen, I want to thank both of you, man, for your time. That's a wrap for WRTS, the After Party Episode 1. Thanks for rocking with us right here on Uninterrupted YouTube channel. For you podcast listeners out there, we got you too. You can catch this anywhere you listen to your pods. Fellas, thanks for coming through the After Party any final words before we get up out of here, man? Either of you. I'll, I'll go first and drink go last. I look forward to next Sunday. I'm enjoying the doc. I know, I, you know, I feel like I know everything about Michael and the Bulls and Scotty, but I'm enjoying it. We're all in quarantine, staying safe. It gives us something to do. I think ESPN did a fantastic job and uh, Mike Tolan and Mandalay Sports did a great job producing it. I'm enjoying it and looking forward to next Sunday. And thank you, P, for having me. Obviously, thanks Uninterrupted, and thanks, Dre, for joining us. Dre, take us home, Dre. I'm definitely enjoying watching this. It's, it, and in, in a weird way, it's, it's kind of motivating, you know what I'm saying, to try to go win more. You know, like, they've done some great shit. And, you know, so just watching this, I've been, you know, got more motivation to like get back to work and try to get more done. This this shit is 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 legendary, you know, and and also just reminded of how fucking hard it is to win. You know what I'm saying? Mm. And like mm. it's it's in my business and your business, it's fucking hard to win. And so just really having that appreciation for winning, uh, you know, it's it's been great. But I appreciate y'all for having me. Uh, P Math, uninterrupted family. Thank you. Uh, this is a great show and. And to everybody out there, man, stay safe and, you know, wishing everybody and, and shit, our world, you know, wishing everybody well. For sure. Appreciate WRTS, it. After Party, Uninterrupted. Catch you next week. Same channel. Peace. Peace.